appreciate that uh, from Brother Bossy. I don't want to be redundant, but that's just awesome. I mean, just an incredible thing to hear about somebody. It's one thing, in my opinion, for a pastor who doesn't have two nickels to rub together to say, you ought to give. It's somebody, something a little different when somebody that's got wealth, they can retire and just enjoy life, that gives so much and develops a ministry that gives millions of dollars to churches, and then they come and say give, you say, yeah, I probably should. <laughs> and so I appreciate that. Uh, it's amazing what can be done for the cause of Christ if people are just willing, just willing to give their lives and what God's given them over. Uh, and so I appreciate that. Joshua chapter 4 tonight, Joshua chapter 4, I will do my best to be mindful of the time. If you got to go to sleep, sleep on. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Try to stay awake if you can. Joshua chapter 4, looks like we're looking at about four more messages throughout uh, this series, and really I had been uh, praying about and thinking about uh, uh, how God would have us sum this up, and really where we're going to end is really when I started where I really wanted to begin, and so we're going to end at the beginning, and so if the Lord allows some later point in time to pick back up, we may do that, uh, but I'm excited about that. It's really kind of where all of this has been going as we've been building uh, upon it, uh, but Joshua chapter 4 We'll start reading in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night." Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. uh, uh, The waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful again to be in your house this evening, thankful to be able to serve you and worship you. Thankful to be able to gather around your word and uh, hear from you tonight. And God, we ask that you'd bless this time, that it might be honoring to you, uh, that we might uh, hear something that would be a challenge to our hearts, that we might uh, be drawn closer to you in this. Uh, Father, we're thankful. We do love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you've, of course, been following along and with us, on Wednesdays, or if you're familiar really with the book of Joshua, uh, you know that this book opens with Moses now being dead, uh, Joshua now declared the leader of Israel, uh, maybe by this time close to 80 years old already, 
Uh, the people have decided to unite a, a behind Joshua and the leadership of God to obey God and do what God commanded. Uh, uh, at this point now, uh, in Joshua chapter 4, they've spied out Jericho. Uh, we've passed over that with Rahab the harlot. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that. Uh, and they've prepared to step into the land that the Lord would give them. And so God makes the way, he prepares it, he gives them the command about how they're going to come into the land. Uh, and you can go back and read that, how he told them to have the priests and the Ark of the Covenant. And when their feet would touch the water, that the waters would uh, kind of dam up on the one side and they would walk across on dry ground. And all of that would take place as they would come into the promised land, now really for the first time. Uh, and now here, at this point, they're at the same place they were 40 years ago. Now, it's different geographically. They, before, they had come up from the south. Now, they're coming from the west. But really, they're in the same place. You with me here tonight? They're, it's not different. They're standing basically in the same spot they would have been 40 years ago. And now, uh, a Joshua, nearly 80 years old, has waited half his life. For this moment. And we're not going to talk too much about Joshua and really him tonight, uh, but he's had to wait half his life because they didn't have the faith to take it. He was one of the spies that came back and said, We can go in. The Lord is faithful. He's true. We can take the land. And it was the others that were unfaithful. And so he's waited half his life to finally take what he would have done 40 years ago. And he's now their leader. And now they're crossing and have crossed. The Jordan River, stepping foot on the soil that God had given them, the land that flows with milk and honey. And amazing things are taking place here. Uh, I don't think we could possibly imagine the feeling the Israelites would have had at this moment of finally stepping in to that promised land. Not just hoping, not just imagining, not just trusting, not just having faith that God would someday but now they're finally there. They've walked across and they're in. They're on the precipice now of no longer going days without water. You with me? No longer having to eat the same thing every day. In fact, that stops tomorrow, if you knew the story. <laughs> they're no longer now going to have to live uh, in tents and wandering around the desert they're finally walking into a nation that they can call their own, where they can have real homes and real lives. I mean, if you can imagine, uh, most of those here now have spent the majority of their lives in the wilderness. Not in permanent dwellings. I think of, you know, uh, maybe you see the evangelists that come through or the uh, uh, missionaries on deputation and they're living out of their car. They've got a fifth wheel. And every time I think, I don't think I can do it. <laughs> you got to live like that. That's hard. Do it in the desert without a car. <laughs> Where if we're going to have water tomorrow, only the Lord knows. Hey, what's for dinner? Oh, yep, it's manna again. Okay, right on. Yeah, we got that. And tomorrow? It's, yep, okay, that's manna. All right. Imagine you're 40 years old. The only thing you've ever had is manna. <laughs> that's it. It's not easy. You don't have a permanent dwelling. 
Uh, all of what goes into having a home, I think, especially in our culture today, we kind of undervalue the home. But when you walk into a home, I don't mean a house, a home, is it not something special? It's what everybody desires, a place that they can have to call home, that they've longed for their whole lives. And now they're finally at that moment, amazing. They're finally going to get all of what God promised. It was great when they were set free from slavery. But they had been waiting to experience the life they were set free from slavery to live until now. And of course, as you understand, as we've been talking about this, this is a picture of the Christian life and how God grows us and the process he takes us through and the journey of the Christian life. Uh, And it's so similar here in that after God sets us free from bondage of sin, uh, we spend some time in the wilderness as God teaches us to follow him. We spend some time learning. Uh, I think every single person here that's been saved understands that at the moment you get saved, it is not the uh, immediate life of just joy and peace and ease and comfort and life abundant. Are you with me? That's not the next day you don't go, wow, everything's perfect, it's awesome, great, sweet. No, it's not quite that way. You spend some time in the wilderness. And many of us have felt like we've spent more than our fair share of time in the wilderness. Many of us have had to learn the same lessons over and over like Israel. Are you with me? Am I the only one? Where you go, yep, I, yeah, I remember I've learned this one again. Okay, yep, all right. <laughs> But the message is that if you follow and obey the Lord, He will take you to the life that far exceeds anything you could have ever known in Egypt. And I don't know about you, but I've had my wandering years of Christian life. Years where I had to be taught the most basic Christian principles that I would mess up anyway. Years where I would still struggle in my heart to believe, to have faith, to commit to the Lord... Years where the idea of a life of joy, peace, and abundance seemed like hyperbole. I don't know if you were ever there, but I remember really first learning about what God said life should be like. And I go, well, yeah, everybody exaggerates. Yeah, I mean, not really going to be like that. I don't know if you've been there, but I remember those times. And I remember God being at work in my life. And he never left me, he never forsake me, he just was there and to use me and to grow me and to be at work in my life. He, maybe he needed an extra dose of long-suffering with me, but he was there. And I remember when I finally comprehended what God was teaching, what God was showing me, and what my, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, since God has revealed these things to me in Ephesians 3, where he would said, uh, he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, Later on, say that Christ might dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, that he would say that you might know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that she might be filled with the fullness of God. And I remember having that time in my Christian life where I began to see really what the life of riches of his glory was like, where Christ's love was evident daily, where I could be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, where things were great. And I don't know if you remember that, but I still have days where I wake up and I go, wait a second, this is my life? Really? Am I? Maybe I'm in a mental institution and I've hallucinated like the last 15 years. Is this really what's happened? 
I'm totally not dead or in jail. What's happened? This is amazing. And I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your Christian life where you're just, again, floored that God could have taken you from what you were and done what he's done in your life. And you think, how could it be? It's amazing. And God can do that. And that's what's taken place here. That's what this is a picture of. But this is a story about stones. That God commanded them that they would go and 12 men, one from each tribe, would go back into the Jordan River and they would take a stone from there, from the dry ground that he would allow them to cross over on. And on the other side, they would create a memorial for what God has done. And so the question is, if everything's good, if everything's successful... If they've accomplished what it was they set forth to accomplish, then why the stones? What's the necessity behind a memorial if you've got what you've already come to? If this is the end of the story, so to speak. And I think we all know, those in here, that this is not where Israel's story ends, is it? This isn't the end of their story. It's not the end of their journey. And in fact, in some ways, like I just noted before, it's kind of the beginning. It's kind of really where things start for them. At any time in the wilderness, we could see that things were getting shaky. And if you know the story of what takes place from here on out, if you know how Joshua and Judges and uh, First and Second Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, all the way up to uh, basically the times that we live in today, we understand that this is not the end. It's not life and peace and joy and ease and comfort and just uh, 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 heaven-like scenarios from here on out for Israel. They're not coming into a utopia where there's no problem. That's not what's taking place. They're coming into the land of blessing, but they're coming into a land of heavy times. Battle. We already said it, but tomorrow, the day after this, the manna is about to get cut off. And there's no more free food from heaven. You with me? If you you don't know, 31 kings are going to bring armies to fight Israel. 31. I mean, one would be a lot for a nation of slaves that have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. You with me? But 31? There's going to be those kings that come and try to deceive them, to try to destroy them. There's going to be those that even try to breed them out. They're going to have to fight and to protect every inch of this land while remaining faithful to the Lord or they face complete obliteration. It's not ease here. It's not the end of the road. It's not heaven. It's not comfort so far. The promised land is the place of blessing for them, but it's not the end of their journey. It's not the final rest for their souls and it's not going to be easy. They're going to, in fact, face their toughest trials yet. And the stakes are much higher than they've ever been. In other words, at this moment in Israel's history, it's almost like the training wheels have come off. And we're going to see what happens. If you can ride a bike with training wheels, you're okay. If you you crash, you're still upright. You take the training wheels off and you crash, and you have some injuries. I have my daughter, Paisley... She was, I don't think she was riding her bike, she was running, she was doing something, 
And somehow she fell and scraped the top of her shoulder. I don't even, how is that possible? If you fall while running, or how do you get to the top? I don't. But they're at a place where it's not, there's no oopses left. You with me? There, things are real here. And heavy times are coming for Israel. Times of battle are taking place in the very near future. And things are going to get real for them. And I think what we've all understood, and if you've been a Christian for a a, a length of time, and you've seen God at work in your life, and God has grown you, and, and you've seen success, you recognize that in the Christian life, success, blessing, and really being used of God means that life is going to get hard. See, it's, it's a deception to say, if you get saved and you follow the Lord, it's just easy. No problems. There's no issues. All your bills will be paid. Your family will just be good. Nobody will have any problem with you. You'll get along with everybody. If you ever have need, it'll just be instantly met. And no, we know that's not the case. It's not the reality. And in fact, if you've grown and gone through the wilderness in your life, and now you're coming into a place where you're learning to walk in His Spirit, where you're finally enjoying peace and joy and life abundantly, where you're finally coming into a place where God really is using you in a mighty way, then guess what's coming next? 31 kings. Things are about to get real. And I can't tell you what you're going to face in the land of blessing in your life. But I can tell you that you're going to face the real trials in your life when you enjoy the real blessings in your life. They go hand in hand. See, for me, it wasn't until after God got me through the wilderness that I faced my largest battles. It wasn't until after I came through the wilderness where I had to sit alone in a strange town in a dirty apartment room and tear down the real strongholds of my heart. You with me? It wasn't really until after I came through the wilderness where I had to decide if I was going to stay in ministry when my wife got cancer and I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. That was after wilderness. You with me? I wouldn't have made it through that in the wilderness. It was after wilderness when I had to face temptations that might destroy my family and undo all of the good that God has used me to do in other lives. See, in the wilderness, if I backslid... It's pretty much what everybody expected me to do anyway. Was not nearly as big of a deal. It was kind of expected. But success isn't without trouble. Coming into the promised land didn't mean that they were going to stop fighting. It meant really that they were going to start fighting. You want to live the promised land life? Battle is coming. It's not without purpose. It's not without success. It's not without blessing, but it is battle. It's more than worth it because nobody's really quite as miserable than the Christian who takes salvation and then walks backwards. We won't elaborate, but if you would look at 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 20, the Bible said, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. He goes even a step farther. He says, For it had been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. He says, In this life, 
here on this plane, if you get into the wilderness and you come to the precipice of that promised land and you see all of the joy and all of the peace of what God has for you, and you say, you know what, battles? No, nah, I'm not interested in battles. You turn around. He says, that's, that's the worst kind of life you can live. You don't get to just go enjoy the worldly life and pretend. You don't get to go back, in other words. God's not that way. He doesn't, in other words, he doesn't do trial runs. Right? There's no free trial membership with God's plan. <laughs> it's a 14 days free, and then you could totally quit. It's fine. No repercussions. Now you choose to follow God. He says, if you turn back, it, had been, it would have been better for your life had you never gone in the first place on this planet. What he's saying is that uh, throughout Joshua, we see uh, he's saying you're going to need some stones. Israel didn't know it yet at this point, but they were going to face battles like they've never seen before. When 31 kings and armies were going to come to kill every man, woman, and child among them, they were going to need to remember who God was and how he was sufficient to take care of them. They were going to need that memorial. It wasn't going to be easy from here on out. It wasn't going to be simple. It wasn't going to be smooth sailing. And they were going to need the memorial in the land of blessing, maybe even more than they needed it out there. Because things were going to get real. They couldn't afford now for their faith to fail. The training wheels are off, as we said. If they betray God now, uh, it's not an oops. It's not a few snakes and they can repent and come forward. Things are a problem. If you know what takes place, it's even when just one man disobeys the voice of the Lord, just a few chapters afterwards with Achan, it would almost bring the whole nation down. Things are real now. This is the real deal. Not trial. It's not, there's no room for error. They've got to follow the Lord. Imagine what might have happened had the whole nation done what Achan did. And so what they're going to need is they're going to need some stones, a memorial, a place that would force them to remember that God was faithful and worth following. A visual reminder That if they were going to make it in the land of Israel, if they were going to make it through these 31 kings, if they were going to be able to take this land and keep it, they were going to do it by the hand of the Lord. They needed to see that. That needed to be evident. It needed to be set up so that they could look at it at any moment in time. So that their children, when they were still fighting these battles generations later, they would be able to come back and still see for themselves that God was true and faithful. They needed to know it. They needed to see it. Now, maybe more than ever, they needed to know it now. See, it's, it's a wrong thinking to think you're going to get to a place in your Christian life where all of a sudden you're beyond needing the help of God. Where you're beyond the reminder. Where you're beyond the place where I need to set up some stones for memorial. Where you're so strong and so steady and so uh, 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 confident that you can just overcome any problem in your life and there's nothing to worry about. It's a faulty thinking. God says you're going to need some stones. Because there's some things coming. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you go, yeah, I know. And if you're sitting here going, I don't know what you're talking about, buckle up. Because <laughs> that's how God works. 
God didn't save you and keep you here to just float along. He's got a purpose and a plan. And if you're following him, it entails some battle. Whether you know it or not today, you're going to face these battles. And really nothing in the wilderness could compare to them. If you're going to really live for the Lord, if you're going to really allow God to use you in a real way, if you're going to really try to experience uh, the joy and peace and life abundant that happens from walking in His Spirit, then that means you're going to war. You're going to war with yourself, putting to death the old man daily. You're going to war with a world that seeks to oppress and destroy everything good. You're going to war with the adversary that would kill you today if he could. You're going to war. It's not, heaven is the time for rest. You with me? You don't get to choose. Now you can turn around. But Peter said it's worse. Because <laughs> God said, yes, there's a land of blessing. Yes, there's a place of joy and peace and comfort. Where even when everything is insane out here, it's still good here. He says that exists. But it's not smooth sailing. It's not without battle. It's not without trouble. And you've got to be ready for it. And he says this, you're going to need some stones. You're going, to need a point. You're going to need something in your life. You're going to need to set some things up that are going to be there as a reminder that God is true, that he is faithful, and that he'll carry you through. There may be some dark times in your Christian's life that's going to make you question if this is all worth it. There might be some times where you're going to wonder if God really is going to come through. You may get so far and things may get so hard that you might wonder if you've been imagining this whole Christian thing all together. But God says, listen, you're going to need some stones so that you are reminded of who God is when you're in the midst of the battle with 31 kings. When your kids are fighting Philistines still, you're going to need some stones to remember. 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul would say this. He would say, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to, unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And many Christians who have never needed these stones before maybe would come to a service where the uh, a gospel is preached and they would go, I'm already saved. What's the purpose of this? It's pointless. I'm like already saved. Who cares? Why do I need to hear this again? What, what would be the purpose of hearing salvation preached again and again and again if I've already accepted it. I can tell you, I've heard many Christians that have come to church maybe Sunday mornings. They're typically the ones that maybe only come Sunday mornings and they go, salvation message again? Great. That ain't going to help me at all. Paul said, guess what? To me, <laughs> that's the power of salvation. To me, that's the power of God. Because to us, it's the constant reminder that a real God really died for you and rose from the dead, that he overcame death after he gave his life for you and I that were sinners. It's the reminder that if a God himself would come and die for us while we were weak, destitute, failures of sinners, then you know what? He'll probably be faithful to us today too. Can I tell you what? We need the reminder of the preaching of the gospel. 
He says, to them that are perished, it's foolishness. To us, it's the power of God, and we need it. You need the visual reminder. You need the constant memorial. They will say it this way. Do you need to read your Bible every day to be a Christian? Nope. But I don't know a single Christian who's made it through the battles of their life without the daily reminder of his faithfulness. I don't know one. I don't know one who's been a mature Christian and faced the hardships that life is going to have for them and said, yeah, it was easy. I didn't even need to read the Bible. Totally, I haven't read it in years and everything's been fine. I don't know the person. Because we need the constant reminder. Telling you to read your Bible every day is not some Christian gold star report card to see who the best students are. It's a call to set up some stones in your life that you're going to need to survive the battles. You're going to need to set up a memorial that you have already determined that every day I'm going to take a look at what God's done. Every day. Because I'm going to need it. You're not going to make it without it. The worst thing a maturing Christian can do is tear down the things that cause us to remember his grace. We need to set up some stones. If we're going to make it through the battles of this life, we're going to need to set up the stones, the reminders, the preaching of the cross to us daily and weekly at church. We're going to need to put the Bible before our eyes. We're going to need to set up some memorials that we remember constantly who God is, what he's done, and that he's able to carry us through. Because the times will get hard as a believer. I can't tell you. And if you think about it from this standpoint, and if you see people's lives through this standpoint, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people that were just there. They were just there. They walked over the Jordan, and man, they figured it out. And they're faithful. And God's blessing. And you see even their countenance change. I don't know if you see this on believers. But they come in. They just got saved. And they're just lost. They're confused. They don't know what's happening. They're listening to preaching like this. I don't. What? And then all of a sudden they get it. And they're faithful. And they're serving God. And they've got the smile and the joy. And man, they get it. I've been blessed with the riches of his glory. That Christ dwells in my heart by faith. That there's a God who loves me. And amazing things. And they start to serve him. And I've seen it, I can't tell you how many times, where they get right there and something happens. And then all of a sudden they're unfaithful to church. They're out of their Bible. And they crumble. Destroyed. They fall and the top of their shoulders get scraped off. In other words... And they think they can make it. And they go, I don't know what happened. I've seen lives destroyed countless times that were right there. They were standing in the promised land. And they had it for a second. But they weren't ready for the battle. No memorials were set up. They hadn't made it a practice and set it up that, listen, I'm in church. The Bible, the word of God is set before my eyes daily. And I'm going to pay attention and remember the cross of God. They didn't do that. So they don't have the memorials. And so when the times get tough, they go, I don't think God was faithful. I don't think it was true. God didn't take me through this thing. I said I wouldn't be long. It's a simple message. The promised land is worth it. To turn back is to live the most miserable life possible. 
But in order to survive the battles that face a Christian, in order to get through the battles that are going to face you if you really decide to live for the Lord, you're going to need some stones. You're going to need to keep that book in your face. You're going to need to be under the preaching of the gospel. And you're going to need to never forget that God himself died for you and me. When we stand to our feet this evening, bow our heads. Heavenly Father, God, a simple, a simple message, Lord, from your word. A simple truth. God, we so often think that things are so complex, that things are so difficult. When we're in the midst of battles, we always wonder how we could have made it. When we're defeated by the...